covering today, if you've been following along, 2 Kings 3 and the first seven verses of chapter 4. I'm going to do a summary. Travis assigned me like 40 verses. I'm like, I can't preach 40 verses. But I am going to summarize chapter 3 because it is really important as we get into chapter 4, which is many of you know the story of the widow and the multiplication of oil, God's provision of oil. I feel like that is also just what he's getting our attention with this morning. So Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah and he'd been king for 18 years. Jehoram, who was the son of Ahab, we all know Ahab, bad guy, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He became king of Israel and also did evil in the sight of the Lord. It's like this just goes on and on and on, but not as bad as Ahab, the scriptures say. So, okay. And what happened is the king of Moab, who was not Jewish, not, you know, Israelite, Judah, it was the king of Moab, he'd been paying an annual tribute to Ahab because of, like, you know, the, the loss of, uh, of war. He was, he was actually subject to Ahab. And he would give him 100,000 sheep and 100,000 uh, rams wool, the, the wool of 100,000 rams. But when Ahab died, he's like, I'm not doing that anymore. The scripture says he rebelled against Israel and decided to stop doing it. So Jehoram goes to Jehoshaphat, right? King of Israel goes to the king of Judah, and he told him this, and he said, would you go out to battle against me? I want to continue to get this tribute. So Jehoshaphat says yes, and they plan which way to go, and they also bring the king of Edom, okay? So there's three kings. And what happens is they kind of wander in the desert for a week, and they run out of water for the soldiers and for the animals. So like... They're like, ah, they charge out, and then within a week, they're like sapped. They, have, they can't even continue. And so Jehoram actually suspects that the Lord is, is giving them into the hands of the Moabites. It's like, actually, the Lord's against us. So Jehoshaphat says, can we ask God through a prophet? Now, this is actually pretty funny because it's not until they get into deep trouble that they ask, actually, we should consider asking God if we should be doing this. It's not until they become absolutely desperate that they go, let's ask God. Now, one of the servants says, what about Elijah? Jehoshaphat says, yeah, that guy. The Lord is with him. Now, they had very little respect for Elisha and his predecessor, Elijah, right? We know that. They just totally disrespected these guys. But, but actually, Jehoshaphat's like, oh, yeah. I know the guy you're talking about. And what's amazing is, this is the guy who like everywhere he went, there was fire. He brought fire down on soldiers. He brought fire down on the offering with the prophets of Baal. Like this guy could command fire from heaven. And then he was taken up by chariots of fire. So I actually put it out to, where's Ben, ben Rizbeck? Ben is an illustrator here. And, and, and actually, I think it was Celeste's idea. She goes, I wonder if Ben could do an illustration of, of Elijah being carried up into this, and I'm like, man, that, that would be sophisticated. So I have coffee with him. He goes, I just found this new AI app, and I can actually plug stuff in, and it produces the stuff, and I can enhance it. And so within 24 hours, he produces an image of Elijah riding the clouds on chariots of fire. Do you want to see it? Yeah. I'm not going to show it to you, but oh, there it is. <laughs> How awesome is that? Like, isn't that incredible? Oh, no, go back, go back. <laughs> Olu's like, well, you said no. Isn't that incredible? And I don't know if you remember the story, but he actually drops his cloak, and Elijah picks it up. So actually, Ben had to add that in, and he, advanced, he uh, enhanced his facial features. 
But I just think it's so important for us to like behold the glory and the power. This actually took place. This happened. This probably, no offense, Ben, doesn't even do it justice. Can you imagine? This is what Elisha saw. And so they're like, yeah, why don't we call that guy? Call the guy who got the cloak that that guy dropped. Good idea. Probably should have done it before you struck out, but okay. Ben, thank you for that. That's such a cool thing. Yeah, really, well, well done. So I want to pop into 2 Kings 3 here, right? So they go to Elisha. Verse 13, it says, And Elisha said to the king of Israel, What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and to the prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, No, it is the Lord who has called these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, were it not that I have regard for Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, meaning I like that guy, so I'm going to help you out, I would neither look at you nor see you. But now bring me a musician. Isn't that interesting? And when the musician played, the hand of the Lord came upon him. I just want to pause right there because oftentimes there are moments where we say, let's bring the musicians up. Not because it's a magical formula, but there's something you can't get away from when it comes to music. We know that music soothes the soul, but it's not just that. It's not just you on Friday night with your Barry White. It's actually, there is something that God wants to do. Jim laughed the loudest because he knows. Um, there's something God does with and through music. So we're just like, let's, let's take this gift, this gift of music. He didn't have to have it. You'd think, this is Elisha, the guy who got the cloak. Can't he just do it? But he says, bring me a musician. It said, and when the musician played, the hand of the Lord came upon him. It's not a formula, but it's just something to note. Yeah, there's an atmosphere that's created. And he said, thus says the Lord, I will make this dry stream bed full of pools. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind or rain, but that stream bed shall be filled with water so that you shall drink, you, your livestock, and your animals. I love this line. This is a light thing for the Lord. Of course it is. He can do anything That's what we have to just keep expanding our minds to. He can bring water where there is just dry stream beds. I can only imagine if the people that Sue and Frank were visiting and they came and said, the Lord's just gonna bring water up out of the ground, they would be absolutely blown away. And he's like, listen, that is a light thing for the Lord. He will also give the Moabites into your hand and you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city and shall fell every good tree and stop up all the springs of water. Isn't that ironic? And ruin every good piece of land with stones. The next morning about the time of offering the sacrifice, behold, water came from the direction of Edom till the country was filled with water. God did this amazingly for people that Elisha didn't even particularly like. It's just the kindness of God to help them. So anyway, they go and the Moabites actually like suit up for the fight, right? Because they know that they're coming. And, and actually, as the Moabites, this is what's so interesting, God alters their perception. As the Moabites see the stream bed, it looks to them like blood. So they don't see water, they see blood there. 
So they think the three kings have actually fought and killed each other. And so they rush down to take all their stuff. But actually, the armies are all intact, and it's a bloodbath for the Moabites. And interestingly, they don't wind up defeating the Moabites, and they're, they're ultimately driven out of their land. Some scholars say this is just a sign of kind of the weakness of Israel, even though they make this appeal to God and he helps them. But it was just all wrong. They start out without asking, and actually their motives are all over the place, and, and so it just kind of ends in a little bit of a mess. But part of why it's important to, to note this chapter three before we get into chapter four is, is for some of the key differences. And chapter four is so sublime. But, but first, we notice the scale on which this thing takes place, right? This scene we've just witnessed. Kings, armies, rebellion, like the stream bed miracle. Like you can just imagine thousands of soldiers littering the desert, there's this, this geopolitical, as Trav would call it, grandeur to the whole thing. But also, Elisha seems largely uninterested and even put off by the king's request here. What have I to do with you? Another translation says, we have nothing in common. Isn't that interesting? But on the Lord's direction, he helps them. Well, he, he pronounces the Lord's help with this incredible miracle. Now I want to turn the page into chapter Four, and this is where I want to focus the rest of our time with that as a bit of a backdrop. Because I believe he wants to open our eyes, our hearts. I think he wants to increase our faith. As we go to chapter four, verse one, it says, now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all of these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, go, sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. So we don't believe that this is a myth. We don't believe this is a legend or a story. We believe this is history. We believe this actually happened. Because if it hadn't, it's just a nice story. If it had, then, oh my gosh, what do we do with it? How do we understand what it means for us? And so I just want to bring out three things that I think I see in this that we can lay hold of when it comes to this incredible, miraculous story. First, we see the power of, of petition. The widow had a need, right? The widow had a need, <coughs> and yet she had to ask. She had to ask. It required her asking, a fundamental part of the story, and I don't want to be too simple about this, is that I notice she had to ask. 
It does not seem that God just noticed the need and magically brought oil to her. There was a process by which this happened. So she had to ask. The other thing that I found so interesting is that actually um, she had to ask in light of the fact that she had disappointment in her life. Right? Her, her husband died. Her husband, who was a prophet, as it were, says that one of the sons of the prophet. So she had hardship in her life. She's now in a situation where her kids are about to be taken. And, and so she, she had to still lift her eyes and lift her head and be able to have enough courage, encouragement, expectation to ask. You know, oftentimes, I feel like disappointment just takes our faith levels and just shrinks it and shrinks it and shrinks it and shrinks it so that whatever it is that we need, we just kind of go, ah, is he really, does he really want to help? Is he really going to do it? Here's a woman at the end of her rope, lost her husband, lost everything, and she goes, I need help. I need your help now. I need big help right now. And I've seen in myself that when I pray and God doesn't seem to answer, not only do I stop praying for that thing, I just kind of stop praying. And it's not even though I make a decision to stop praying. I just kind of move on. And I just don't return to it. And and I just think the, the situation and the person of this widow is a reminder to us, actually, we must ask and we must keep asking. We must petition because there is power in the asking. It doesn't seem the story happens the way it does without the asking. There is power merely in the asking. Don't be fooled. Don't be deceived that because of the thing you've asked for or are asking for or have been asking for for 20 years has not happened, there is still power in the asking. The next thing I see is the power of disposition. What does that mean? I mean, both of Elisha toward the widow and of the widow toward Elisha. See, the prophets were actually mediators for God. So this is not just her disposition toward Elijah. It's her disposition toward, toward God. She is coming in desperation. But first, look at Elisha. He's so sweet. He says, he, he just, he's so tender. And he wanted to help. What shall I do for you? Versus, what do I have to do with you? This just tells us about the heart of God. He was tender and he wanted to help, unlike the kings. I mean, it carries on, in, in, you know, it carries on Elijah's ministry. Remember in 1 Kings 17, there was a widow that Elijah helped. I just love that. But not only does it carry on what Elijah was doing, it carries on what God is doing. Many of us know this verse, Psalm 68, verse 5. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Okay, so I wonder, little thought experiment here, if like Elon Musk left you a voicemail, how eager would you be to to get back to him? Because Elon probably doesn't need anything from you. Right, he's often on the richest man in the world. He's a genius with all these resources. He's calling, he's not looking to borrow a few bucks. He's not looking for you to do him a favor. But if Elon Musk leaves you a voicemail, you're kind of like, 
oh my gosh. Number one, you're calling everybody. Hey, how should I handle this? Like, what should I do with this situation? Basically, a king of sorts, right? Somebody with great power and influence. And you're not not calling him back. <laughs> right? Jeff Bezos calls you. You're not not calling him back. You're like, hey, Jeff, yeah, it's, it's Eric. What, um, how are you? <laughs> you good? That's good. I, yeah, you, I'm just hitting you back. What did you... Um, want with me in your $200 billion. It's just very easy to imagine we'd be eager for that conversation. Now think of the poorest person you know who's desperate basically just for basic life necessities and they leave you a voicemail. Like, are you eager in the same way? Are you rushing to get back to that person? Are you excited? for the opportunity it may represent. <laughs> we, just, we just wouldn't be. That's okay. I think it's an opportunity to take a step back and reflect and go, oh man. Actually, I'm not getting calls from Elon. I'm not getting calls from the poorest person I know or the most destitute person, but, but actually on that scale, I'm leaning more toward this. And you'd say, hey, Elon, <laughs> it's good to hear from you. You know, you and I have a lot in common, right? Jeff Bezos... You wouldn't say, what do I have to do with you? And I think we'd like to think, you know, there's a lot, Elon and I, we're a lot alike, you know? He's kind of a smart guy, pretty resourceful. <laughs> Somebody calls you, they're poor and destitute. You're not like, what do I have in common with you? What can I do for you? You just see the heart and disposition of God just leaning in. Three kings, I barely even want to look at you guys. Widow with nothing. What can I do for you? How can I help you? Father of the fatherless, protector of widows, is God in his holy habitation. The other thing I notice about her disposition is she says this. She says, she says, you know, where is it? She says, you're, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. She's trying to make an appeal on the faithfulness of her husband, right? You know what a good guy he was, some translations say. You know he revered the Lord. Now, if you're a mature Christian, you, you, don't, you actually don't come and feel like you can say, Lord, you know how good I am. Like, look at me, I'm so faithful, right? You, you, don't, you actually don't feel like you des deserve that. You're like, geez, Lord, I don't know. But she makes an appeal on the faithfulness of her husband, and you go, well, I, I, I don't, isn't that a bit of entitlement? Do I feel like I can make an appeal on, on the faithfulness of me? Actually, if you're a mature Christian, no, that's the right answer. You really can't. But see, what we have now, in similar fashions, we make an appeal on the faithfulness of him, of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, that totally changes things. It's not in the faithfulness of me, but actually, Lord, you said, you said, you're like, you said, on the faithfulness of him, don't look at the faithfulness of me, on the faithfulness of him, I want this, I need this, you need to help me. He is faithful, like he is faithful. You, you can push in and go, no, I deserve nothing, I deserve nothing. It's so great to be able to have that disposition because that's really important. But to go, but on the faithfulness of him, I will boldly ask for anything in his name. So she appeals on the faithfulness of this minor prophet. We appeal 
on the faithfulness of the great prophet. That God's like, just ask me. I mean, the thing I love about this is that Revelation 19, it says, John says, and then I, I saw heaven opened and a white horse standing there. Sound familiar? See, Elijah and that picture is just a precursor of who Jesus is. It says, its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war on our behalf. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. We make an appeal to God on behalf of who he is, without shame or fear. We make it boldly. So that's the power of our disposition. We've got to be able to come before God and say, Lord, I deserve nothing, but because of him, you've promised to give me everything. He has. Some of you are uncomfortable with that. Because let's face it, this is the prosperity passage, right? Like this is the one where it's like, he just wants to pour oil out on you and you're just going to be swimming in it. And I mean, there's probably a hundred YouTube videos about this with a guy in a white suit. Listen, the trouble is you can't get around. It's about God's financial provision. It just is. So we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater even though it's been misused and abused over and over again. This is about the blessing of God meeting her in her desperation. Let's grab hold of it for that. Let's not be ashamed in the midst of that. It's amazing because she, she trusted him. Otherwise, she wouldn't have gathered the vessels. This is the other thing I find, though, about when it comes to uh, how this whole thing worked. Do you, do, you just, do you study the way God works? Like, do you watch these stories for the way God works? Because I'm like a bit of an efficiency expert. Ask my wife. It actually drives her crazy. I just want to take the fastest route. I want to get it done as quickly as possible. There's actually no art to what I want to do sometimes. There's no story to it. Just, I just want to get it done. And I'm thinking, why didn't the Lord say, widow, stand back. I am going to produce vessels full of oil. Why not? But actually, he calls her to work. He calls her to participate and to engage. You go get the vessels. And not too few. There's got to be a part of you that's like, gosh, if only she had one more vessel or five more vessels. I just wish she had gotten more because you just know that as soon as they were full, it stopped. And you're just like, man, she had to work in the midst of it. She didn't have to work for it because God was going to do it, but she had to work in the midst of it. It requires something of us. That's what this shows me. I don't know what that looked like. These things are probably heavy and she's, you know, getting all these vessels from her neighbors. What an inconvenience, but, but actually it is inconvenient when God calls to engage with it. It's going to cost us something and we're going to have to work in the midst of it. And so that's my last point is just the power of Persistence. If she had just gone, you know what, thank you, I hear you, I really don't feel like bugging my neighbors right now, it would have failed. Elisha, I think, don't know, would have said, okay. 
You can stay with your one jar of oil that will run out and your kids will be taken. But actually she couldn't because she was driven by desperation. I love that we sang that song, Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you. Do you need him? Because in middle-class America, we typically don't have a lot we need. So if we don't need anything, we tend to just back away from God. We don't know the desperation that Frank and Sue saw when these people did not even have food. And so I just think, what does it look like for us to be truly desperate? What does it look like for us to be truly desperate on other people's behalf as well? And then what are our vessels Like I said, you can't argue that this is about, you know, God's provision. But it's also actually about how he works on behalf of those who are desperate. On behalf of those who have no place to go. There's another widow story in Luke 18. The parable of the persistent widow, it's called. And you know this story, many of you nodding your heads, you know this story, and the widow is banging on the judge's door, and it says he's not even a good judge, he doesn't really care. But actually, he just wants her to go away. And so he opens the door, and he satisfies her. And Jesus says this, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? He says, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Will you do your part? He will do it. Elisha said, the oil will come. Will you gather vessels? Will you do your part? We've wanted to be a church that welcomes people in need. It's very costly, actually. Because we've had some people that show up in great need. But how do you read Psalm 68.5 and not be that kind of church? How do you not let there be a demand placed on the resources that he's given us? We saw the people in Karamaja in need, and so we raised the money to help them. But that's not the end of it. That's not all. There's so much. There are people right here. Myung Yi is in need this morning. Martin Stanley just had open heart surgery on Monday. We prayed for him on Wednesday night. He's doing well, triple bypass. He was almost gonna be here today, actually. He's like, I think we're gonna stay home. I go, that's good, Martin, you do that. These are desperate kinds of situations. These are needs. So I have a crazy story, crazy story, that I feel like God gave, and God will just do this at times. He'll just kind of help. So I go mountain biking, as many of us, you know, have mentioned on our little crew. If you're interested in mountain biking, give us a, you know, give us a shout, because we love to go mountain biking on the trails around here. So anyway, I'm with Ben Chenard. Ben, where are you? Probably every other ride. He says, that's a sermon illustration. I'm like, I don't know, Ben. <laughs> this one was. So Ben is probably the most skilled rider among us. He's been riding for like 25 years. He also has another gift. He's spectacular at wiping out. Like nobody wipes out like Ben. So we're riding on Tuesday, Monday, and um, he wipes out, he calls it a yard sale. Stuff is everywhere. Like his, you know, it's just a mess. 
And I'm following like 10 feet behind him and I'm thinking, okay, well, either I slam on the brakes or I'm gonna run into him. So unfortunately, I slam on the brakes and I go down. So he's laying in the mud and he's looking up at me, he goes, you okay? And I go, yeah, you okay? And he goes, yeah. And we just sit there in silence for like two minutes. My leg's all messed up. He's bleeding. We're just like... So anyway, we just, whatever, we carry on. This is half the reason we do this stuff, right? <laughs> so he goes, and then I ride up behind him. Half mile in, he stops, and I go, what's up? And he goes, I got to go back. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, I lost my glasses. And I look at him, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. You were wearing glasses. <laughs> so I said, that's okay. I'll go with you. I'll, I'll, I'll go back. We'll find him. They can't be, they just got to be right there, you know, to be easy. Well, we had actually passed a guy who rode that way. And then on the way down back again, we passed him coming back. And I'm thinking, oh gosh, I hope he didn't run over them, you know. So we get down to the trail, the spot where he, where we both fell. And, and you know, when you're looking for glasses, you're like, you know, <laughs> you don't want to find them with a crunch, you know. The trail's about four feet wide, and we're just looking at it, and, and then I start looking into the weeds, because it's nowhere on the trail. I start looking into the weeds, and I just hear God say, it's further than you think. And I was like, oh, is that you, Lord? You know, it's like, did he say, I don't know. So I'm now like 10 feet off the trail. I'm like, there are no way, there's no way the glasses are right here. So I walk back, and he's walking around, and about 10 minutes in, he goes, look, let's just go. We're not going to find him. And I don't know what it was in me, but I was just like, I'm not leaving here. I hate losing stupid stuff like this. I hate it. It's going to cost you like three or 400 bucks to replace your glasses. I hate this. I'm not, I'm not leaving. I said, we're going to go get flashlights. And maybe when the sun goes down, we'll catch the glare of them off of a flashlight. And he's just like, uh, okay. <laughs> Another five minutes go by. And he's like, look, I, I just think we, we got to call it. I'm like, all right. But I honestly was not prepared to leave. I wasn't leaving. I don't know if it's like God, I don't know what was going on. But I was like, I am, Lord, I'm not giving up. This is stupid. I, we are gonna stay here. I had nothing to gain or lose. But I am not gonna let that guy go home without his glasses. So we kind of get, we turn around to go back to our bikes and he goes, oh. And I look at him and I look down and there are the glasses literally sitting right in the middle of the trail. Wow. And I go, he just put them there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. And then I look up at him and there are tears welling in his eyes. And he goes, thank you, Lord. And I look back down and I go, those were not there. There's no way, there's no way. I would have ridden over them five times. They were right, they were set like you would set a pair of glasses. We didn't touch him for like three minutes. <laughs> I'm not kidding, we just sat there like. I feel like he was saying, they're further than you think, you'll never find them. But here they are. I promise you, they were the opposite direction as if they had flown off of his head. They were just sitting like you put them on a table. Now, you don't have to believe me. I'm not even sure I believe me. But I have no other way to, to, to explain what happened. And we just sit there and worship because we're like, this is epiphany. This is God manifest. Yes, it is. It's incredible. It's a stupid pair of glasses. Like, it's not that big a deal. But God just gave me something. We're riding back and Ben goes, you know, I got to be honest with you. I told the Lord, 
Lord, if you're not going to return my glasses, that's okay. And I kind of thought for a moment, I guess that makes me a little more spiritual, doesn't it? (laughs) But I just thought, no, that actually is perfect. We have to have that attitude. But how do we have that attitude and I'm not giving up and I won't quit? It's because we come together around these things. Excellent, Ben. You hold your hands open. I am not stopping on your behalf. I am not stop- I am not leaving here. Call my wife. I'm going to sleep in the ferns right here. <laughs> and you know, I thought, I'm having this dialogue with God, right? And he's talking to me, I'm talking to him, and I say, and again, I don't know if I'm, what he's saying is what I think he's saying, but I'm, I'm carrying on in faith. And I said, you know, I want Monument Church to be the kind of church where we pray for stuff and it happens. Like, wouldn't that be amazing? But then I thought there's actually even a better way to be for us. Because if we pray for stuff and something happens, that doesn't say a lot about us. I think it says more about him. I want to be the kind of church where people come and say, I don't know. They actually don't see a lot of prayers answered, but they don't stop praying. They just don't. And I actually think we would turn into the kind of church that sees a lot of prayers answered because of the power of persistence, the thing of taking on what God is asking us to do. The vessels are our prayers. The vessels are the empty spaces where he wants to pour his blessing into. This is not prosperity gospel. This is the truth of God's word. But we are so quick to give up monuments. Stop quitting. Stop quitting praying. I know it's hard. I know you deal with disappointment. Ben's been praying for something for 20 years he hasn't gotten. Yeah, Ben, I I just want to keep standing with you in that. Glad you got the memo on the outfit. (laughs) You got class. (laughs) I see you didn't get the rest of it. (laughs) This is how he is. This is how he is on the trail the whole time. Why I keep riding with him, I don't know. Hi, my name is Ben. (laughs) The infamous glasses. Does God answer prayer? Yes, he does. Is God faithful? Yes, he is. Can God do anything that's not part of his character? No. How do we know all this? We know this because God reveals his character through his word. Yeah. And so what do we do? We grab hold of his yeah. word and we say in life, no matter what, yeah. this, is, this is what you say about yourself and I will trust in you. Yeah, it's good. And so we pray and God always answers. Mm. You've heard God 
Answer is yes. You think, oh, isn't God good? But when you pray and God says no, does that mean that he's not good? No, God's character never changes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. He's immutable. Yeah, amen. And then sometimes you've heard people say, well, God sometimes just says, wait. Well, then you think, well, how long? Um, but God always has an answer. And he always works within his purposes. Yeah, it's good. The hard thing is to let God work and his purposes aren't always our purpose. Um, his ways aren't our ways. Yeah. So uh, since I was 23, I've had epilepsy. And uh, I've asked to, for healing. And I always ask for healing because we're always encouraged to keep asking. When I was 35, I had... Um, status epileptic they call it status epilepticus that sounds latin it's just status epilepsy it means you go from one grand mal seizure to the next to the next to the next and you can't catch your breath and so five minutes go by six seven minutes go by and you go back under without breathing and i came out of that um alive when the doctors went into the uh, to check on me, uh, they really encouraged my wife by saying, "He's still alive." <laughs> but what that did is it erased my hard drive, and I lost all memory. Um, I, I I I didn't know that uh, I had three children. I, I remembered my wife Nancy, of course, who can forget her. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't know that uh, people in the family had passed on. I didn't know certain people in the family had, were no longer married. So, since I was 35, how old am I now? 53. Uh, I think I'm 54. Four. <laughs> okay. It was a good guess. It, it's close to 20 years. I do want to pray for people, so get to the punchline. <laughs> I thought I was preaching this morning. <laughs> I know you did. <laughs> but the whole point is, I've asked, and I've asked, and I've asked, and I've asked, and I've asked. And I haven't been healed yet. But does that make all of this mm. not true? It doesn't. God is still sovereign. Yeah. He still sees my situation. Yeah. Yeah. He still hears my prayer. Yeah. Good. And I'll let you finish up. <laughs> In front of Paul and Michelle. <laughs> we do that all the time. Ben, left, left. Remember, we went on this trail 10 times. But I love it. He's got a sense of humor about it. I want to share one more quick story from Pat uh, and Heather, and then I would love to trust him for prayer not because the sermon was so good or because Ben is so touching, but because this is God's truth and reality forever, for all time, for all of us, is that he wants us to keep asking and he wants to demonstrate his goodness and his love. Amen. Whether it's five people who are healed of blindness in a small village in Uganda or the person in your office 
God wants us to go on behalf of other people and plead desperately. I feel like he gave me some measure of grace just to not give up on the glasses. But I think he wants to give us grace not to give up so that there's a witness of his love. The widow was desperate and he just kept lavishing her, lavishing her. As long as she had something to fill, he would pour out. Our prayers are the empty vessels that he wants to fill. Pat and Heather, can you come up and just as quickly as you can um, tell a quick story of healing? Yeah, um, suffering, disappointment, pleading, desperate, crying out. We're kind of a living example of this story. Um, our daughter had a baby a couple weeks ago and she had five epidurals because they were having issues. Um, the medical side simply, or Heather can explain. Um, she had something called a dural leak, which um, when you have um, an epidural, it could be that there's a, a hole doesn't seal up in the spine, and so the, um, the spinal fluid leaks out, and then that holds your brain in place, so it um, puts the pressure on the lower part of your head, and so the brain sags, mm. and so the pain is, um, it's incredible. I mean, it's mm, yeah. 10 out of 10 pain. Yeah. So five days in, she was rushed to the hospital by ambulance. You got it. It's just the complications of the new baby not being able to really care and love it. Mom's rushing over there. Someone's got to take care of the baby. Husband stays home. Who's going to the hospital? Um, so she's there. They do the procedure. They thought it worked. And it, as soon as she w went to leave, it just all came back. And it didn't work. And the hospital staff reached out. They couldn't, the people reaching out to them weren't doing it formally, I don't think, because they didn't have her number. They found Jillian through Facebook and said, hey, it's buzzing here at the hospital. We don't know what's going on. We just can't figure it out. This is really strange. So if another five days went by. What do you mean, what do you mean it's buzzing? Well, just that they're all talking, they're all yeah. talking like trying to figure out how, to, how is this happening? Yeah. And um, so she was getting ready on Friday to be rushed back to the hospital again. They haven't been sleeping, and you can just imagine just the disappointment. Mm. You just dream you're going to have your baby, your first baby. You're going to be bonding with it. And none of this was happening. So Heather's rushing over there again, and we're all praying, Paul and Michelle, the family, our care group, once again, hey, guys. Um, the, the group circles were broadening with people who are carrying our burden and praying with us. And um, my daughter said, Jillian runs upstairs to get her and she's standing up holding the baby. It's like, what are you doing? She said, um, I was pleading before the Lord, you open this seas, you can heal this hole. Mm. And she was just weeping before him. And he said, stand up. Mm. She mm. stood up and she said it was gone. Mm. Mm. So, they have to, 
So my son-in-law is like, what do I do now? I mean, the hospital staff is getting ready for us to come in. <laughs> he's like, how do I cancel them now? And <laughs> he's like, is this for real? But uh, that's good. Somebody that's from good. there called and, and basically assured them. They said, this is nearly impossible. Mm. Uh, mm. But if you're not experiencing pain, there's nothing we can do. So anyways... <laughs> Amen. Today, a few days later, she's like, I experienced a miracle. And, you know, we all kind of participated and carried that together. That's good. good. Thank you, guys. After all this, what's in the Word of God, what it means to us, Ben's story, um, both of miracle, I can't call it anything other, with the glasses, but also unanswered prayer or at least unfulfilled desire. I just feel like we're in a moment that we can bring our petition, have the right disposition, and just persist in prayer. We might go a few moments over, but we're going to have the musicians play just this song of desperation. Lord, I need you. Every hour... I need you.